1: at all ages and stages of life stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort Here we go. What you think about- Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed the opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore. And you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. And our goal is to raise all voices, big and small, regarding this disease because we all have an impact. Now we're going to have a really interesting show with a fantastic woman. But before I introduce her, I always like to give a couple of shout outs. So first, I want to address that Lorenzo's house is now having Lorenzo's camp, which is going to be held um, online uh, June 21st. It's a Monday and it's going to be virtual from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central Time. And it's for youth that have a parent or a garden, guardian that's diagnosed with uh, with Alzheimer's disease. So check out Lorenzo's camp. Also, I want to give a shout out to Maud's Ventures. They are doing a challenge and they have three different challenges that they would like to be met and they are looking for people to step up and give a proposal for these three different items. One is dealing with aphasia, one is adaptive clothing, and one has to do with respite. And they are willing to give seed money of fifty dollars to $100,000. This is for Profit and nonprofit individuals alike, they just want creative minds to solve everyday problems that people are dealing with with dementia. I also want to shout out to Dementia Map, which of course is our global resource directory that we launched not too long ago, and it is a place for people with dementia and care partners and business professionals to mine resources all around the world that can help them live a better life uh, with dementia. If you are a business professional that has a service product or tool, we have 150 different categories. We'd love to talk to you about joining. Uh, We have both free and paid plans. Also, Coro Health, C-O-R-O, is still allowing people to download two of their apps, Music First and Choral Faith during the pandemic. So don't forget to check that out. And then you can always go to the Memory Cafe directory. It's exciting because some of them are starting to get back together live. Others are still virtual, but go to memorycafe.com for more information. Last shout I wanna give is to the dementia research charity called Brace on november 2nd they are going to be doing a dementia global challenge and they have a wonderful conference lined up called together for dementia uh, which i am so lucky that i will be one of those speakers Um, it's very simple to sign up in fact they have an early bird ticket of only uh ten dollars and that is euros um, so you can go to uh, www.buff.ly/3f5pfuy for more details. So we're going to hear from the Footbar Walker, and we will be right back.
0: Introducing the life-changing foot bar walker.
1: I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The foot bar walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing
0: home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle
1: Well, we are back and I am so excited to introduce you to Reverend Jeanette B. Jordan, who is the founder and pastor of Journey to the Cross Ministries, a multi-denominational church established in 2009 in the Chicago Heights area of Illinois. Reverend Jordan, also known as Pastor J, also co-hosts a Women of Faith Caregiver Support Group, which is sponsored by the Alzheimer's Association of Illinois. She has been married for 58 years to Robert A. Jordan, who was a physician, um, and he's actually a retired uh, pediatrician who now suffers from Alzheimer's and dementia, and this has turned her into a powerful advocate, but she helped her husband write his book, From Suspenders to Stethoscope the Dr. Jordan story. And it really is um, one of those from from poverty to the palace, and really creating your life. And it's it's quite a beautiful, beautiful book. And we are going to have a wonderful conversation about how Pastor Jay has dealt with the love of her life, and his dementia and how that's affected her life, her family's life, and her her mission going forward. Well, Pastor Jay, I am so excited to have you with us today um, to tell your story and, you know, your experience and what you're doing in this space is just pretty amazing. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. You know, I always ask every one of our guests if they've been personally touched by dementia. Of course, in your intro, um, you know, I kind of touched on that. But I'm wondering if you could give us a little background in terms of when you started seeing signs with your husband. You know, how long have you been living this journey? Okay. Oh, wow. Let me tell you, uh,
0: I I sit back and I ponder uh, when did I really notice some definite changes in his character and his personality. And um, although it was very evident in 2015, I go back all the way to 2012 uh, when I think I first started seeing changes in his characteristics. I mean, changes in the way that he uh, reacted to things. I, I had a daughter back in January of 2012 whose husband committed suicide. And that was very devastating. I mean, that was something catastrophic. But Mm -hmm. my husband did not react the way, when I go back and think about it, he did not act the way that I thought he would. He was not real sorrowful. He wasn't real embracing. He was just so cool about it. And then I denied that maybe it was because he's a physician and they're taught how not to get so personally involved. But then I said, but that's our family. That's. My son-in-law, that's his daughter. And so I just put that, I put it on the back burner. But then I kept seeing little things, but I still, I was, I was, I was in denial. But like I said, it was started back uh, really, really evident in uh, 2014. 2014 is when uh, I said, you know, something is up. And so what I did was I even started to journal. Okay back in 2014. And and I would just like to, can I read something for you? Absolutely. I wanna read on January the 13th, 2014, I just had to start to journal. And I said, I'm concerned more than ever that my husband is losing his memory. And this has been going on for several months. I have shared my concern with the kids and they have shared their concerns with me. I also mentioned it to his mother and Deborah, She's a sister. I'm scared and when I say to him that he is forgetting a lot, he becomes angry and defensive. It's some days confusing because he can remember or it seems as if he's remembering things, but then he'll forget where he put his phone or his keys and then we'll all hunt for them only to find them maybe in his pocket or hanging in somewhere unusual, like on a closet hook. Lord help me to uh, direct me, touch him and get, him to realize and want to go and get treatment and then I says today he asked me twice when I got home if TT which was my sister was okay he asked me earlier if I had talked to the doctor and then he asked me again when I came home if I had talked to the doctor I answered both times yes and then he asked if the doctor had ordered a urine test earlier and I answered no and then he asked me again when I came home the same question. He asked if I had seen some corn muffins and fresh okra that he had bought and left on the kitchen counter, and I said no, and he seemed to have become agitated when I said I had not seen it. Idila, who's my daughter, looked all over for the items and then decided to go look in the car. She found them, plus other groceries that he had bought on Saturday, still in the car this Monday evening. I then asked would he go to the doctor if if I made him an appointment? And he replied, hell no. And Edila also asked him and he replied, hell no. And I told him that I was concerned just the same as he would be if my blood pressure was elevated. And he just looked at me again and said, hell no. And now Edila is crying. Wow. That was my journal on January 13th, 2014.
1: Wow, that's really powerful. That's, uh, and, and, you know, you, you talk about the beast of the disease showing up at your door and, Mm -hmm. and even, you know, just in, in, in our, um, few words so far, you kind of talk about that denial or, you know, well, maybe it's not quite that, but your gut's telling you something different. But then on this day, it sounds like there's no denial at all. There's no denial. There is
0: no denial. Um. I had to, as you said, I had to come out of the closet (laughs) (laughs) and I had to begin to, uh, you know, the truth was fact of the matter was my husband was losing his memory or had lost his memory.
1: Yeah. Well, and one of the things in terms of kind of coming out of the closet on this and coming out of denial is not only are you, you know, journaling this for yourself because, you know, then it's factual. I mean, that's how I, when I journal, it's like, okay, I can't ignore that. I, I yeah. wrote that down. I witnessed it. And, um, but then you also shared it with other family members. And that's a huge step in and of itself. Yes.
0: It, it was, it was just definitely a struggle for me. Um, I wanted to share it with a, a good friend of mine. And then I kept saying, well, you know, how are they going to feel about him? How are they going to look at him? I was so worried about how they were going to treat him after, you know, knowing that some of the things that he was doing, uh, some of the ways uh, the new uh, Bob was acting was, was just not going to be uh, maybe what they wanted uh, to have a friendship with. And, and, and really, Lloyd, like, guess what? It was the truth. I told them my best friend, And her husband and my husband uh, were golfers. They golfed together two or three times a week. And uh, after telling them that, I guess they began to really kind of observe some of the things. Like he would lose his keys or his phone on the golf course. And of course, the whole round had to stop until everybody went on the hunt for his keys. So over a period of time, and it wasn't very long before they stopped calling him at all, and that has hurt me still today because they still have not called him since 20, I would say 2015.
1: You know, and, and what I think people also don't, don't understand is when they pull away from the person with dementia, how much it hurts the care partner yes. themselves. They have no idea um, what that, how devastating that yes. is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it just let me know that, well, I guess you have friends for a certain period of time because God filled uh, my, that space, that void up with so many more caring people. So now I have a new uh, circle of friends who understand and care about me and care about my husband authentically.
1: Yeah, it really is. So That's a really good point. That kind of season of friendships, but boy, that letting go is just so hard when it's not your idea, you know, and it's not even discussed. It just, it just happens. But you know, you know why. I saw that with my, my own parents. Um, my, my dad had brain cancer, and my mom had um, dementia. And one of my mom's um, good friends could not go see her when she lived in a community. So for ten years. she wanted to know how she was doing, but she could not go see her. Wow! And I found that just fascinating. And then, you know, during one of our conversations, found how fearful she was, because when I showed her a picture of what I saw as a pure moment of joy, she saw my mom disheveled and uncared for and started accusing me And I remember just telling her at that moment, because she literally, she's like 76 years old, screaming at me in a restaurant. I mean, that's how upset she was from this picture. And to me, I I just melted my heart. And Mm -hmm. I remember getting really quiet and just, uh, you know, I said, thank you. And she was Mm -hmm. like, what are you thanking me for? And she kept screaming. And I said, because until this moment, I didn't know. I don't see what you see.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I pointed out what I saw. Yeah. You know, I didn't see the broken teeth. I didn't see, you know, her hair wasn't permed, but, you know, she didn't know all the details of how scary getting a perm was or brushing her teeth. Um, She didn't understand any of those things. And, you know, dementia really gets you, like you said, in those new circles of people who really learn to slow down, Appreciate the person who still is with you, and and I think they slow our pace and they make us more attuned to those precious moments that I think sometimes we miss because we're moving too fast. Yeah, and yeah. Um, even when you were talking about your husband not reacting to, um, you know, the suicide, I remember one gal uh, living with dementia, and I and I never understood this until she came out and said it. But she said, you know, I can look at a picture of my children and I can tell by the way everyone's looking at me that I am supposed to know them and I'm supposed to be filled with love and I am empty. There's no emotional attachment. And she said, knowing that I'm supposed to know and knowing that I've lost that is devastating, but I can't change it. And I never even though I was on a journey with my mom for 30 years, I never understood it to that extent. And she was a young gal with two teenage boys. Wow. It's so
0: funny because my husband never, ever accepted the fact that he was losing his memory. Okay. He was able to convince the uh, psychiatrist that we had gone to see that his forgetfulness, was because he was, uh, what did he call it, uh, preoccupied. And he went on to talk about uh, the life of a physician. And he was so sure that that physician you would have to understand uh, all of the pressures and all of the uh, requirements of him and that he was just preoccupied. And so he had no need, he didn't even know why he was there seeing him. And when he finished talking to the doctor, the doctor was agreeing with him. And I said, wait a minute, doctor, listen to what I'm telling you. And he says, well, you know, maybe he is preoccupied. So go home and just, you know, kind of observe and just see. And, and, you know, maybe he can, and my husband said, well, I can, you know, I'm just gonna start just paying a little bit more attention because I, I, I know. And we left and he was in the same condition until I had to take him to a friend who's a primary care physician and kind of talked to him on the side and says, look, he is manipulating, (laughs) he is controlling everybody and no one's believing it. So what he decided to do was to ask my husband, would he let him do the cognitive uh, assessment? And my husband refused. And uh, he says, well, I don't want to put you under any pressure, but if you ever decide that you want to do this, you know, just call me. And we could just do it. It's no big deal. And my husband never called him. Mm -hmm. And then in 20, I guess it was sometime in 2015, yes. I just told him, I said, you know, we're gonna go do this. I had to then become stern because I wanted to know, was there anything that we could do? Is there any medications that he can take? I knew nothing about Alzheimer's. And so we went to the University of Illinois Neurological Center and where they, uh, he was angry with me, but he went along and he, um, sure, cursed out the doctor and everybody that was assessing him. But when they gave him the cognitive uh, assessment, surely that's when he was diagnosed, because they ask him, I can remember, they says, okay, doc, what year is this? He said, who the hell cares? <laughs> <laughs> or they said, who's the president? He says, well, let me see. I really don't keep up with that stuff. And I think he probably said something like Kennedy. And you know, Uh, And so the assessment went on. And so he was definitely um, diagnosed with, with dementia. So it's just, it was just really, really hard for me to see that I could not convince him, or he would not accept the fact that he uh, had dementia. And so we could never even talk about.
1: it. Well, in part of that, you know, um, I I have a couple of comments, but one is, you know, how he could manipulate things, which I think is very typical you know my mom um was had really high social skills and i mean even when she was in her you know mid tipping into late stages the nurses would say how does she know everything that's going on and i'm like she was a great eavesdropper when she was younger and that is a skill she has not learned or she hasn't lost and you know and then when you add the intelligence factor in there you know being a doctor when you add, you know, well, those all seem reasonable. And just probably the doctor not even realizing it, like a friend. Well, I don't, I, if it could happen to him, it could happen to me. Yeah. And so then that denial kind of steps up and they give (laughs) in and go, okay, because there's such great fear. And for your husband, just in terms of even the years of of knowing about dementia, knowing there's nothing really they can do, there wasn't a whole lot of support. So he, he probably knew inside, if this is me, this is, you know, and the the stages were very negative. Um, You know, just even in the last five years, we've come a long, long ways in terms of our dementia care culture. But for many, many years, you know, people thought, you know, dark, dingy, Um, No communication. You're going to be in a wheelchair. No one's going to come to visit. You know, you're not going to be well kept or cared for. I mean, those were those were the images people had stored in their heads.
0: of course, and and, and especially in the African American community that it's just a no no. Mm. It's taboo. You don't even talk about it and you know you sweep it under the rug and there it stays until your loved one go and makes heaven their home and so uh, and that's that's one of the things that you know after realizing and him being diagnosed and me and accepting that that i, I wanted to be a voice you know i wanted to be a voice so that we can at least maybe slow some families can slow down the process. Not you, There's no cure, we know, but you may be able to get the help to slow that process down.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, my mom lived with it for 30 years. And I think she lived that long because she was so socially connected. Yeah. You know, she still felt purposeful. And so, you know, with a, a lot of different cultures, you know, it's not spoken about. And, you know, they kind of try to take care of it as a family and yet, anyone who's gone through this knows how difficult it is as a family to be able to handle this because Look, it's a I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say, though, you know,
0: I'm, I'm kind of skipping around here, but, uh, you know, we have this faith based um, caregiver support group uh, that uh, Michelle Mason and myself host every fourth Saturday um, via Zoom. And I have so many people in my community that I've reached out to that says they wanted to join us uh, because they needed, even the caregivers, they needed help, they needed tips, they needed resource information, all of those things. I have over a hundred people that I have in my database. And then every fourth Saturday, when we get ready to go on and you never know who's gonna show up on the Zoom platform, put on, you know invite people into the Zoom, There's one African-American and the rest of them are Euro-American. So I'm saying, okay, you've asked for the help. We need to give you the information. So this is one of the things that I'm saying that we just, we want it, but we're still in denial. Even when we have a loved one that has been diagnosed, we still don't want to let the world see us because we don't want to be attached with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so yeah. I don't know. So, if that's a work in progress, so uh, we're going to keep pecking away until so many of us understand and we can live in um, this dementia world and stop trying to pull the dementia patient into our world.
1: And we can well, do- exactly. And you know, for for those that are are nervous, and I I think it's all different communities have a hard time stepping into this space. But again, for the African American, even much more so. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've found for anyone who is fearful, I mean, it's, it's, it is fear based. It's, it's, it's not comfortable, it's not normal. You're breaking standards, I mean, traditions, all of those types of things. But by breaking those things, you will gain so much comfort you will find so much more peace. You will find people and and services that will support you. I mean, I look at myself and needless to say, I am a a white woman, Um, but I was so frustrated by not having support. I mean, that's why I changed careers was to step in and try to make a difference for everyone because I didn't want anyone feeling the pain That I felt that my family felt and this is something we can do together. And, you know, the more voices, the more diversity we have, the better we can serve everybody. Yes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I agree with that, one hundred percent. I'm just that, and that's all I want to do right now is is, is to advocate for the caregivers and advocate for those who are uh, suffering dementia. I'm I'm in awe uh, to see people who are suffering from dementia that can talk about it. I was on a radio uh, a podcast where uh, there was a son and he was taking care of his mother, but his mother was able to talk about her, her dementia and uh, how great it was for her son, how she loved her son so much for caring for her. I mean, she was able to still articulate uh, those feelings. And so I was just so amazed at that. And she's accepted the fact that this is happening to her and she understands her journey and she's fighting hard. She's fighting hard to stay in our world yep but it's okay because her husband says whenever you i uh, have to step back into yours i'm there you know yeah so it, it is it is something it is really something and we need to let people know that you know as caregivers and loved ones we have those abilities to enjoy whatever it is we can find joy we can find peace we can find comfort and we can cry
1: yep yeah god crying okay. is normal you have to You you're going to feel the range of emotions, they might be a little bit more intense, but it's much better to feel them and move through them than it is to let it build up within you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I I, I just think it's so important. I have um, a a couple of things I'm going to say in terms of being able to hear that voice of someone who's still able to communicate. Um, You know, there's dementia mentors, which actually pairs up people with dementia in their early stages with another person with dementia. Because that person knows what it feels like to get that diagnosis. That person knows how friends and family look and treat them differently. They, they know the frustration, the anger, the depression, the scariness that's all wrapped in that. They know what it feels like to have their loved ones care for them. And they're scared that they're going to be too much of a burden for their loved one. All of those things are going through their head. And so Dementia Mentors is a really great place um, for people to connect. They also do um, several, I want to say it's like 40 memory cafes um, a month. And I believe those are just for people with dementia, like a lot of memory cafes are for the um, person with dementia and, and their spouse. Um, And then they have a bunch of short little videos that are done just, you know, two to five minutes long by people with dementia on different topics, which Mm. can be really helpful for families. And then I will just mention one other thing that, that I personally do and have been doing for years is called dementia chats where I facilitate a conversation once a month with the true experts, those diagnosed. And they pick a topic and they talk about it. And I just facilitate it. But you know what I love about the group is no matter how frustrated they are with a topic, they always come up with solutions or they always come up with things they see are working and they wish more people would apply. Um, or how to communicate with them, or talking about planning for end of life, or talking about someone in denial, how do you deal with that? Because they have all been there. Right? You Absolutely. know, and so there's so many beautiful, beautiful things that are out there. And I love your women of faith group, because I, I, I just think that that is a, a beautiful base to give people.
0: Yeah, I I thank Alzheimer's Association for asking Michelle and I to facilitate that. Uh, Because one of the things that I did uh, when my husband was diagnosed, I I just did everything that I possibly could so that I would learn uh, and understand all that I could about that uh, beast of a disease, the Boed, as I call it. (laughs) And I took a course, it was like a clinical trial uh, class with Emory University, Uh, it's called Telesavvy. Mm and this is where they teach uh caregivers how to care for their loved ones how not to not, how not to leave them sitting in that wheelchair uh as though they're vegetables you know how to let them uh participate in uh house the housekeeping or how they let them participate in a game night uh how to let them set the table if they love to cook uh give them something safe to do so that they still feel valued and um hold a conversation with him. Where well, that conversation may go left, but that's okay. Uh, my husband right now continues to be the physician. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned that we did have to uh, place him in a long-term care facility for his own safety and the safety of the family. He became so agitated and so anxious uh, that he, he was just a threat to himself and a threat to the family. He was leaving home. He left home a couple of times. One time I did not know where he was. And of course, that's the most frightening experience ever to come down and thinking your husband is uh, in the kitchen and find out he's nowhere to be found. Uh, and having that call that 911 to uh, say, my husband has dementia, could you please find him? And the anxious moment seemed like days to me. And it was probably only 15 minutes before they found him. But and just to see your loved one come back with his hat, his pajamas and a house coat and had walked about a mile or so to the store and not even realizing, you know, what he's doing. and Those types of things caused us as a family, well, my children and I, to decide for his safety hours that we would look for a long-term care facility, but I said all that to say is that the long-term care facility where he resides is absolutely awesome. Uh, they allow him to be Dr. Jordan. They have given him a stethoscope. He has a lab jacket if he wants to put it on. He walks around. He's not touching anybody, of course. Of course, they would not allow that. But he's talking to people and asking them what he always asks: Do you have a fever? Well, does your knee hurt? You know, take an aspirin, or he's still doing that, and that makes him happy. When I call him, and we have a call every Friday, they allow they do a duo chat. First thing gonna ask me, how you feel? Do you have a headache, and I just said, no, I don't have a headache today, uh, but and I took my temperature like you would tell me, and it's ninety eight point. So I feed into that because that's making him happy, and
1: that's we can then communicate. Well, and what people I think sometimes just totally overlook is when they're happy, you're happy.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, you can breathe. You're you're not worried. Where is he? What's going on? You know that there's discomfort or discord, um, and and people overlook that way too much. I I think um, I I love that they gave him the the stethoscope and the the jacket. I think. <laughs> Living with purpose is critical to everybody at every age. And we have to look, um, I mean, we have to identify the differences to, to know how to care for somebody at, at all ages of life. But we have to get back to the similarities of us being human. Absolutely. And what makes us tick and, and what we build our relationships on, you know, is, is so, so important. And I think sometimes when chronic disease hits we get so focused on it's different it's changed nothing will be the same and we we give up our whole life that we loved to the disease when we can still have that it's going to look different but if we look in the mirror we look different than we used to look absolutely
0: absolutely we've all changed yes yes and i'm just i'm just embracing all of i know what the changes are going to look like And I think that's why you have to educate yourself. I'm prepared for the changes. I know that dementia is a declining disease. So I'm looking for, but every day that he's stable and he's still right where he is, I celebrate that. And I thank God for that. You know, but if something, if there's a decline that happens, I've already prepared myself for that and how I'm going to move into that stage of his life to continue to give him the love and the care and the honor that he deserves.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing with my mom. I, I, I always felt like I was one step ahead um, until it got to the very end. And then it was like, okay, I'm really not ready for this. Even though I've had 30 years to prepare for this, I, I'm still, still not ready. And one time, you know, she was put on hospice um, and then taken off. And she lived another like three and a half years. Right. You well know, after that. So I mean, we we don't know. The other thing when it comes to preparedness, one of the things I didn't prepare myself for, because I didn't even know it existed, was my mom hadn't said my name in like three years. And I just let that go and I knew I had told myself, I am more than a name. and our relationship is this spiritual thing. And as long as she feels safe and comfortable with me, that's, that's what's important because that's what I want her to feel. And if she can't say my name, that's not a big deal. But about three years after my mom hadn't said my name, we ended up having kind of this goofy incident. And I said something comical to her and she was kind of sleeping. And she woke up and she giggled and she answered me and she, um, she said my name. I sat on that bed. I cried like hysterically for like three hours. (laughs) I was so emotional. I was so touched that she still knew me. And it really made me realize that they always know us. They just can't always say the words. Absolutely. Absolutely. But
0: he, because we but, will always be tattooed on their hearts, the same yeah. get tattooed on ours. And like now my husband does not say my name. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll say, uh, you know, do you know, I'll ask him, do you know who this is? And he'll say, do you know who you are? And he knows <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll say, oh, well, yes, I know who I am. I'm your wife. And he says, oh, yeah, that's right. And I says, OK, what's my name? He, then he'll go back. Do you know your name? And so I'll say, yeah, I'm Jeanette. And he'll say, yeah, that's right. You know it. <laughs> but spontaneously, he does not say my name or, or, or our children's name. Um, but he perks up when he sees my son. He knows his face. And they have a wonderful conversation. My, my my son said Dad is really on it today my son's a pharmaceutical rep so he gets a chance to talk that verbiage with him <laughs> and so they they do this wonderful uh you know conversation weekly but um I did I because I prepared myself I heard some people just really kind of break down when their loved one forget who they are don't recognize them but I did prepare myself for that and I kept saying you know there's going to be a day that I'm Go to talk to him, and he's not going to know who I am and I'm going to be all right with that because I know who he
1: is yeah
0: I could I could I could I could deal with that it's okay
1: yeah my brother was one of those that he just really struggled because my mom called him her brother okay. and he was very offended how could she not know me I've been her child for 50 years and you know <laughs> he just really went down the rabbit hole and I said Mark you know she's She's gone back in time before she was married, before she had kids. And I said, if you are honest and you look in the mirror, you look like Uncle Chuck. You know, <laughs> and she loved Uncle Chuck.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: mom's not dissing you. She's not playing with you. She loved her brother. Absolutely. And, and you remind her of, of that love. That's a, you know, that's got to be good enough. It does. And, and, and I, I feel it, it's not about. For me, it's not about me, Yep,
0: it's all about him. And my son did a wonderful thing. He put a hard back bound book together that has uh, various stages of our life with the kids when they were little, uh, when they were in sports. It's just a book with all of those pictures. And I take it with me every time I go to visit him, I can see him face to face. And I just watch how he thumbs through it. And then some of the things that he thumbs through, he'll pause on. And I know when he pauses on him, that's something clicking in his mind that he's trying to think and put it, you know, put it together. And the last time he paused on my son's picture and he just put his hand on the picture and just was patting the picture. Mm. And that I says, you know, he's connected with that picture. He knows who that is and he knows the love that he has, you know, for our son. And I just he just sit there and just stared at the picture. So we have to be there in their space and knowing what's making them feel good. And so uh that's what I try to advocate for to the caregivers when they they want to give up hope and give up help. And no, we can't because that person may be here when you're going on to make heaven your home. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh enjoy them and let them enjoy you the way that they can.
1: Yeah. Did you uh, did you fall into this rabbit hole I did where you know, I wanted so much to make my mom's life better. I had this big, you know, list of things to do. And it was all about her. And so I had this big, long to do list. And it was really kind of a a busy list for both of us. It was, you know, some of it really needed to be done. Um, But one day I came to the realization that I didn't need to focus on the tasks, I needed to focus on was she safe, happy and pain free first. And then when I did that, I realized that my to-do list, I was getting filled by just checking something off because I was so frustrated as a daughter, knowing there wasn't a cure. So yeah. well, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing stuff daily in her best interest. But what I didn't realize is when I was doing those tasks, they weren't really what fills a person emotionally. I was doing the laundry and I was cooking and cleaning and getting the meds and doing all of those things. And I'd look at the list and go, this is all for mom. But I wasn't sitting being in her presence. Right. And just really busy, busy work. Yeah. And I, <laughs> it, it, took, it took me um, until I snapped at her one day when she repeated herself multiple times for me to figure that out. And um, and that was life changing for me, because I think a lot of people do this task list thing and we don't even realize that we are giving our relationship up to the task.
0: Yes, absolutely. And even as we're doing that, as we as we're doing that, we did have to step back. Also, uh, because we want our loved ones, of course, to be cared for and we want to show everyone how we love them and care for them, but then there's self-care in there. So we have to step back as caregivers and think about, you know, okay, now how do I take care of me? Because those emotions are still um, working on your inside. And so I've learned to just take time for Jeanette, uh, go get myself a pedicure, go get myself a manicure, go lay on someone's massage table and and let them, you know, pamper me uh and come out of there feeling like that I'm I'm worth all that I'm doing and I'm taking care of me so that I can be a better caregiver for my husband.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Going back to your husband, was there ever a time where he really accepted the disease or he was still pretty much no. in denial the whole time? No. He's in, he was in denial from the very beginning, and
0: he's still in denial now. He's Dr. Robert Jordan, and he works at his uh,
1: long-term care facility, <laughs> and so oh, that's it. <laughs> well, good for him, you know? I mean, that's okay, too. Yeah. And that's, that's okay, <laughs> and too. we accept that. We
0: accept that. And uh, one of the things that I did was I did befriend uh, several of the uh, staffers at his long-term care facility, and they call him Dr. Dad. And mm. I, I send them little gifts. And I, I'm, I'm, they call me Nanny, uh, like my grandkids. And uh, they care about, they really care about him. And they give him all of this uh, love that, that, that he needs. And so it makes me feel uh, a good about where he is and the care he's been given. And they know that I'm still the lead caregiver. He's there but you can't do anything without talking to the lead caregiver and they give me that respect. So we have this wonderful, wonderful relationship.
1: Well, that's fantastic. And, and how respectful to have that relationship too. I had that where my mom was at too. I was very involved and, and they, they understood that. Um, Overall, how has this journey impacted your life and, you know, becoming an advocate? Um, in all of this.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I've just become excited about being an advocate for caregivers and those suffering dementia. Um, when I ask God, why me? And he, he always speaks to me. He says, Jeanette, why not you? And um, what do you do with, with this? And he speaks to me and he says, you take it and you advocate, you learn all that you can and you help someone who may be in the same position that you found yourself. And you do it with joy and you do it with peace so that they can see that that peace and that joy uh, can come out of this. So um, that's how it's really impacted my life. I live to be an advocate. Every time I speak to someone, I'm, I'm I'm saying, you know what, I would like for you to join uh, in our Zoom uh, Women of Faith Caregiver Support Group because you never know when this may hit you. You never know when this disease will walk into your front door. It could be you or it could be your loved one. I never in my life would have expected that this would happen to my husband who uh, had found his dream, was living out his dream. And that if I think about it, it was snatched away from him because he loved, he's a pediatrician, he loved taking care of the babies. And so when I asked the question, why, it was because God needed my mouth and my presence in this space. And so I can help someone else because I'm so dedicated and so in love with my husband that I want people to know that you can still have that same affection, but this is how you can do it. And this yep. is how you can embrace it.
1: And it really is a ministry. You know, I, I remember that, that moment I just shared with you about my mom saying my name after three years and, and I was just overwhelmed by it. And then, of course, then I wanted it more. You know, and I had this conversation with God, but, you know, I, I don't want to miss another one of these moments. And it was very strong. And he just said, Lori, this is a gift. Yes. Share this gift. Let yes. people know there's many of these gifts wrapped in this disease yes. and they're not going to find them if they're not looking for them.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So God speaks to speak to people who He wants to do this thing he very clearly.
1: Yeah, and yeah. You, you
0: step out and you run and you and and you and you do that and you do that. I agree with that one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it's and it's it's very fulfilling and it's. Uh, I think it's a role too that you know people who step into this realize we're, we're no experts. No one's ever going to be a true expert. Everybody's experience is a little bit different, but it's all about getting people to raise their own voice, removing the fear, giving hope to others. And as much as we feel on the journey, we don't know we're 10 steps ahead of somebody else who we can help.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a
1: beautiful place to be. It is, and I'm
0: and I and I and I'm loving it. I'm loving it to be able to be on this type of a platform. Uh, like I said, anytime anyone asks me to talk about my journey uh, and my relationship uh, with the Alzheimer's Association and any other uh, experts that I find myself in their mislearning, uh, I bring that information uh, to the group or to a person so that I can help in any way that I possibly can.
1: Exactly, well, and you've sure aligned with the wonderful gal, Michelle Mason. I just adore her, <laughs> um, you know, who's, who's working with you on your Women of Faith group. And mm-hmm. the Alzheimer's Association is a wealth of information too. I hear so many compliments on their, um, their 24-hour hotline and how, how that has helped so many families. So people need to reach out, you know, these things are in place to help. Oh, I, now I understand that because I mean, I was one of the
0: callers on the 24 hour hotline at one time, <laughs> needing someone to tell me, how can I get, how can I call my husband down? You know, how, how can I, how can I get him, uh, to put down, uh, this bat that looked like he wants to hit me you know you just find yourself so frustrated um and they're so able to help you maneuver in a calm way so yeah my being able to do that now is just such an awesome feeling such an awesome feeling and then i love being able lori to tell people when it's time for you to give up your uh caregiving uh, well, self, like your in your home. Give yourself permission to have your loved one place in a place where they're safe and where you're safe. Sometimes we get so caught up in I promise my loved one that I would never put them away. I will keep them at home till the end. But that is not always the best. Thing to do because you're frustrated, you can't do it, you're sad and anxious and crying. But then, if you find a place that can care for them, then you can give them the care. Like I said, I'm the lead caregiver, you can give them the care that you know you would expect that he, he deserves or she deserves. Yeah. So, uh, I, I that's one of the things I advocate for, also. I said, My husband and I were married, we've had 59 years in July, and so. It's for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and in health. That's what it is right now. But it'll be that until death do we part. So it's okay. Where he is, I'm doing the best for him, and he's getting the best.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really important factor about how people make these promises because they make promises at a time that you're not at right now. Right. You know, things have, have <laughs> definitely changed. And it's amazing how many people are still holding on to that promise when their own safety is being threatened sometimes or the safety of their loved one. And the safety really has to come first. The other thing I found, um, and I didn't realize this, you know, I was in real estate for 25 years before I stepped into this space. And so I would always help families transition and do placements and, you know, for all different types of reasons. And, and yet, when it came to my mom, she was going to live with us. And, you know, I could do better. You know, I was superwoman. I mean, you, you must think all these things unconsciously, you don't even know that you that your your thoughts are there. And then my mom one day, in a moment of clarity asked to move into the nursing home where my dad was at. Now, this is a woman who couldn't pick out her, and my audiences have heard this story a million times, but literally couldn't pick out flip-flops from snow boots on what she should wear after looking out the window. <laughs> but she woke up, and I said, but mom, no one wants to move into a nursing home. That's where my dad was. And she says, we've been together 49 and a half years, and I'm not leaving them now. Wow. And it was like, talk about deep relationships. And you know we have to pay attention to those moments of clarity. Um, And I saw that several times throughout my mom's disease, just these uh, moments of amazing, amazing clarity. One was uh, another time was when um, I was struggling to update all of her do not resuscitate and all the papers and stuff, because she had been living there for 10 years. And they're like, well, it's time we need to update these. And my mom's sleeping in her wheelchair And the nurse and I are sitting on her bed updating this stuff. And we had had all these conversations and I knew I was doing the right thing, but it was like, it was coming towards the end and I was getting really nervous and sad. And as much as I thought I was prepared, I wasn't. And I remember, I'm going to cry. I remember asking my mom in her dead sleep going, mom, is this really what you want? Did I do the right thing? And out of a dead sleep, she turns her head has this big smile on it and she just goes yep and then she went right back to sleep (laughs) but it was she knew i needed to hear that so bad Validation. validation oh my gosh you know and and it was um it was like okay okay she calmed me down you know got me centered again um but it was just you know in those emotions you're going to have those roller coaster of emotions that's normal when you love somebody. Oh
0: absolutely because I have them you know I try to' I'm, I'm a strong person, but there are times that I sit right in this space that I'm sitting and I realize that my husband of fifty it will be 59 years is not in this house. yep I go to bed back in that bed that we've slept together for fifty. Eight years, and I'm back there by myself. You know, I look at my family picture that's on the wall, and I see a whole different life that I've experienced. And it makes tears come to your eyes. Yep. Uh, But, I mean, these are the precious memories, too, that God has given us that we can go back and we can journey back there and just roll it on forward because God only knows the plans he has for you. Jeremiah Maya 2911 is my scripture to go to. God knows the plans he has for you, and it's not to hurt you, but it's to prosper you and to give you a future. So, and the future is uh making heaven our home. So uh I use that to keep myself, like you say, keep myself centered. Yep. I continue to do the work that I yeah. do.
1: Well, in and, and one of the things that I learned during this journey too, um, that, that helps pull me out of those times where I get down and sad is is to know that you can't have great loss without great love first. Yeah. And that's a gift so many people yeah. don't have. <laughs> and so I I when I when I get kind of down, I I say to myself, how lucky am I? How yeah. lucky am I?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't take anything for this journey that I'm on because, you know, it's been, it's good. My life has been good. Uh, And because my husband and and, and I loved one another and still love one another, I thank God
1: for that. Beautiful. Now, you have actually written a book with your husband, From Suspenders to Stethoscope, the Dr. Jordan story, a journey of his life, basically before Alzheimer's. Is that correct? Yes. Absolutely, and this is what uh, I, uh, what would you
0: say, advocate for this book, because this book uh, gives, uh, it empowers one to follow their dreams, uh, no matter what rung of the ladder they may find themselves. Uh, Dr. Jordan came from a family of poverty, and uh, after we were married, he just uh, thought about all of those things in his young age adult life and he thought about his sister uh, who had asthma, who died from an asthma attack. Uh, That was one of the nudges that he had to go to medical school. And it just tells about the journey of a person who you don't have to be a scholar in order to get an MD degree. Uh, It's an inspirational story that just an average everyday guy who married an average everyday girl And we had this wonderful family, and we walked together uh, so that he could uh, realize his dream. And I think it's a wonderful love story, and it's a wonderful story that uh, helps you to understand that you can go from poverty uh, to the promise of the palace. (laughs) And even though it ended, it's still part of our journey. And so, yeah. From Suspenders to Stethoscope, the Dr. George's story tells you all about our life, the ins and the outs.
1: That's beautiful. I, I'm so glad that you captured that legacy. And, you know, um, with that kind of belief, no wonder he didn't want to accept dementia into his life because he accepted only what he wanted Absolutely. in his life. You know, the love of his life, his family, his practice. Yes. And um, and he's still living fully, and it sounds like. I think, you know, he's whole, he's still whole. And, and then I'm journaling, doing
0: all this journaling and I'm leaving it here. And if, if, even if I'm not here, my children will be able to maybe write a, a, a sequel to this. It'll be, uh, you know, life during Alzheimer's and after, or life after a suspenders just stethoscope, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, it will still be uh, an extension of a beautiful story. Uh, it'll, it'll be uh, the climax of our life. Very cool.
1: <laughs> I, well, I love that. Well, I appreciate you spending so much time with us today. Is there anything that we didn't cover that we should have covered? I think we covered
0: everything. I really, really do. Uh, I, I think that if people want to uh, be a part of our Women of Faith, uh, caregiver Support Group, uh, they can join us every fourth Saturday of the month uh, at uh, womenoffaith007 at gmail.com is where they can uh, email us and ask us for the Zoom link. Or they can go on um, alz.org, and they can register for that support group meeting. Uh, We're on from 2 p.m. until 3.30. So our next meeting, I think is on the 22nd of May. Okay. And then I want to say, if anybody would love to read about the Dr. Jordan story, they can get that book of our love life uh, from thehotreads.com and they can order Dr. Jordan's book, thehotreads.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much and for all you're doing. Um, It's really, it's so beautiful to connect to to other kindred souls that just um, see life with dementia as as still a wonderful life. I mean, there's still a lot of beauty here. Absolutely it is. And I thank you for all the
0: work that you're doing. You are just so amazing and so awesome. And if there's ever anything that I can do for you uh, to help
1: you empower someone, I am here for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're just, uh, you know, we're all in this uh, and we're better together. That's just the bottom line. And um, so hopefully we can reach more people um, to step into this space and be able to give them comfort and empower them to, to live well and graciously with this disease.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for our listeners. I hope that you like click and share. You know, it's so important for us to all connect. We all have a story to tell, every single one of us about our journey. And we shouldn't be shy because somebody else can learn from us and we can always learn from others. And that's how we move forward faster um, by making more progress. But, you know, we can't make changes if, if we're not told what the needs are. And so become part of the movement and make a difference. For me, you can always reach out at alzheimerspeaks.com. Or if you maybe you're ready to tell your story, um, email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. The more, the merrier, as they say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Step into the
0: world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family